This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Our telephone number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Now, something we talked about earlier this week, and it was really exciting. I mean, anytime NASA lets us know that they have a major announcement, we get excited. Now, maybe it wasn't quite the alien announcement we'd hoped for, but it's still pretty cool. The fact that we are finding more Earth-like planets that are relatively close to us, if you consider 200 trillion miles close. But 40 light years, that makes it sound smaller. But seven planets, three of them within this so-called habitable zone that could sustain life. And given how many stars are just in our galaxy, trillions, given how many galaxies there are, trillions, seems quite likely that there are Earth-like planets all over the place. So it certainly makes it seem likely that life is abundant throughout the universe which I guess speaks to what's known as the Fermi Paradox. The obvious likelihood of life existing throughout the universe and the deafening silence from the cosmos. Why haven't we heard from these other civilizations? Where are they? Right, and there are all sorts of reasons why. There are all sorts of explanations for this paradox. Maybe we are alone. Maybe life is abundant, but maybe we're unique on this planet in having intelligent life capable of that kind of communication. Maybe super intelligent civilizations uh, became extinct a long time ago. Maybe they're just so far advanced that we can't even comprehend their presence and vice versa. But maybe we're getting closer. Anyway, I'm, I'm really curious to, to get some thoughts here from uh, our next guest. Love speaking with this guy. Dr. Seth Shostak is a senior astronomer at the SETI Institute, also author of the book Confessions of an Alien Hunter. Dr. Shostak, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Uh, just fine, Rob. Good to speak with you. Um, well, let's talk about the announcement this week from NASA. And I, I know last year, I think SETI had begun focusing on this particular star. Maybe this uh, suggests that there's good reason to, but what, what do you make of it? Well, it's very interesting, as you've suggested here, Rob. I mean, you, we hear about planets all the time. It, it used to be big news about 20 years ago to find a planet around another star because, you know, uh, in my childhood, they would tell you planets are probably very rare. That was a very frequent story. Well, now we know they're not only rare, but they're kind of mundane now to find more planets. We found thousands of them. The really important thing, of course, is that the majority of stars probably have planets. Okay, but... This is a sort of an interesting system because, indeed, it's now seven planets around a little dim star, and they're all about the same size as the Earth. So they all could be, in some sense, some sense, cousins of the Earth. Seven of them around one little tiny star. So do you, do you think that it makes sense that once we find planets around a star that seem likely, or possibly at least, to able to support life, that that's where we would do our listening? Yes, indeed. Well, I, we certainly uh, agree with you there. I mean, you know, we, we tend to be very conservative about this because I get emails all the time from people who say, you guys, I mean, you're so myopic. You're always looking uh, for, for life or at least intelligent life on planets that might be somewhat similar to our own. Surely you've seen enough science fiction to realize there could be life, uh, clever life even, on planets that are totally different from Earth. Well, maybe so, but, you know, we, we, we don't know whether that's possible or not. What we do know is possible that planets like the Earth, which are the kind that can have 
liquid oceans and atmospheres and all the, the mineral resources that you need to build a radio transmitter. Well, we know how that works, so we might as well start with that as a, as a given and, you know, look at planets that are sort of like the Earth. Now, these seven planets, some of them are a little bit close into the star, uh, others are a little farther out from the star that they might not be so habitable, they might be too hot or too cold, uh, but in fact, depending on the atmospheres that they have, if they have atmospheres, then it could be that all seven of them are habitable, in which case, if there's any life there, you can be sure it's spread to all the planets of that system. It's kind of like a miniature galactic federation. <laughs> well, but I mean, it speaks to the question then of, you know, I mean, life can be really weird, and maybe the kind of life that exists elsewhere in the universe, we can't really comprehend. And maybe they have ways of communicating that are just completely different from how we perceive communication. Well, of course you can say that, and, uh, you know, a lot of people like to say that. But th- what that amounts to is to say, well, anything is possible. Well, sure, <laughs> maybe anything is possible. Actually, not everything is possible, but, but let's just say in this, case, in this case everything is possible. But then, then you can't do an experiment, right? I mean, we have pointed our antennas, the Allen Telescope Array. It's 42 antennas here in Northern California. And we pointed them in the direction of this star, which has the appealing name TRAPPIST-1, We we spent a a week or two last summer looking at this star system, hoping to pick up radio waves that would show that, well, there's not only life there, but there's clever life. And you might say, well, yeah, but you don't know what's possible. Maybe they're not using their radio. Maybe they're the kind of life that doesn't ever develop technology or the kind of life that doesn't broadcast. You can even go go down that road till the cows come home, but that doesn't give you any insight into how to do an experiment. At least if you do an experiment, you might find something. So why do you think we haven't heard anything yet or found anything yet? Well, we haven't. Is your question, why haven't we found anything? Or why do you think we haven't? Why do I think we haven't? Well, uh, you know, there's so many things that could, in fact, um, make it hard to find a signal. that It's a little difficult to pick out one. But the most obvious thing to say is we haven't looked at enough star systems, right? Uh, you could have been a Klingon with a big radio telescope, a big antenna, and looked at Earth for four and a half billion years and never pick up a peep, right? It's not that Earth was unattractive to life. There's been life on Earth for almost its entire existence. But there's only been radio transmitting life for the last, well, really, only since the Second World War when we developed radar, television, things like that. So, you know, you, you could say, yeah, this is a great place for life. But maybe we're looking at the wrong time. What we need to do is look at 100,000 planets, and then maybe we'll catch one that happens to be in that uh, stage of its development that we can actually pick up a signal. So that's the most obvious explanation. But there are plenty of others. Maybe we're listening at the wrong spot on the radio dial. Uh, Maybe our receivers don't have enough sensitivity, or maybe they're on summer vacation. I mean, you (laughs) don't know. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting. As you look at the evolution of life on Earth, it took a long time uh, for Earth to develop uh, intelligent species capable of this, and who knows how long we'll be around for, that we also need to coincide with these other civilizations. And, in a, you know, the universe that's been around for billions and billions of years, is that a bit of a crapshoot? 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, you've got to be listening when their radio waves happen to be washing over the earth. And, uh, you know, maybe they haven't yet evolved to the stage of being intelligent enough to build a transmitter. Or maybe that happened a million years ago. And, yeah, they were building transmitters for a while until they, you know, blew one another away with bombs. Who knows what, what, what can happen? I mean, if, civil, if civilizations, once they get to a technical level, uh, are, you know, always self-destruct or mostly self-destruct, then it's going to be very hard to find anybody. I'm not so pessimistic, but there are people who are. Right, yeah, there, there certainly are. I mean, there are people who believe that, that SETI is a waste of time, right? That any kind of uh, endeavor to, to search for intelligent life elsewhere in our galaxy or the universe is, is futile. Yeah, well, well, that's right. I mean, it, it, it is true. And in fact, the whole episode, or sorry, the whole enterprise has been likened to, you know, firing a bullet uh, at somebody else who has a gun that they fire at the same time and the bullets intersect, you know, one another. The chances of that happening are pretty small. So, indeed, I think that the, the answer to that problem, that you've got to be listening when they are broadcasting or essentially when their broadcasts are getting to you, the only way to beat that rap is to look at many, many planets, you know, maybe on the order of a million. If you look at a million star systems, then I think the chances that you'll pick up, uh, pick up one are pretty good. But to look at a million requires equipment we still don't have. Uh, that's something we'll be able to do, I think, in the next two decades. So that's why, you know, I've bet everybody a cup of coffee, uh, <laughs> a, a cup of Tim Hortons, that we'll, we'll, oh, yes, hear, nice. we'll hear the aliens in the next uh, 20 years or so. Interesting. Well, I mean, because, yeah, we, we are making progress in our, our capabilities, our, our capacity to listen, the technology that allows us to do so, knowing where to, to look. We're, we're, we're certainly further ahead than we were 20 years ago, right? Yes. No, there's no doubt about that. And that's just the march of technology, right? It's not that the antennas are really so much bigger. They're not. But the uh, the receivers, which can take advantage of digital electronics to look at huge swathes of the radio dial all at once, you know, that that's... That's the development that's moving fastest. It's just like with your computer. You know that every couple of years you've got to replace your computer because, uh, you know, you don't get any respected parties anymore because it's so ancient. And it's the same with us. If we could, you know, get the latest computer technology, we could speed up this search by a factor of 100. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. So a lot, a lot of reason for optimism, then, is what you would say. I think there is. Yeah. Now, mind you, I have a dog in this fight, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's my job. But, but on the other hand, I really do think that there's some reason for optimism because we've never had the capability of looking at thousands of star systems, knowing that there are planets out there, and being able to scan as much of the radio dial as we can now. So it's a bit like, you know, the hunt for Antarctica, which began, you know, like probably 400 years ago, right? And it, it became possible once you had ships that could not only sail to the southern hemisphere, but actually withstand the ice and the ocean and stuff like that. Uh, well, we're, we're developing the technology that, at least on paper, is certainly good enough to put us in touch. And, uh, of course, whether we get put in touch or not is still up for grabs. Let's say that that moment happens within the next couple of decades. Um, it, when it does happen, what, what do you think? I mean, do, or, or do you give a lot of thought to the question of how society, how humanity will react, the kind of impact it will have? Well, there are a lot of uh, thoughts about that, and, and most of the people around here, if you ask them what would happen if we were to pick up a signal, they will volunteer that, well, uh, you wouldn't tell us. The government would shut you down. The government would keep it quiet because, you know, it would be very disruptive. 
Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the government would now, but I have to say that that, that isn't our experience. We've had false alarms. So we, right. we, we know what would really happen. And what really happens is as soon as you get a signal, there, there's no policy of secrecy. So as soon as you get a signal, you know, the word is out. People are putting it on their blogs or whatever. And the media start calling up. Immediately, the media start calling up. The newspapers, the radio, the TV stations. So, in fact, what's going to happen if we find a signal, even if we don't find a signal, but think we found a signal, uh, there, there will be uh, tremendous coverage by the media. There will probably be a lot of you know, phony information for a while until it's all straightened out. And that will probably happen even if the signal turns out to be, you know, uh, uh, just terrestrial interference, radar from the local airport or something like that. That will still be a big story until, of course, it's proven that, well, that wasn't really E.T. So you can expect some false alarms. But in the case of the real deal, yeah, it's just going to be a big story. I don't think the public is going to be rioting in the streets. I just can't imagine that the, the, you know, if, you, if they open up their browser and they see a story, you know, scientists find a signal coming from space. They're going to say, well, that's it. I'm riding in the streets. Right. But there is that, that fear, that uncertainty, right? Or, or even knowing what they are or w- what their intention is, right? I just recently got to watch the movie Arrival, which obviously focuses on that. How do we know what it is they're saying to us? How do we know what's being transmitted if we happen to pick something up? What, what about that side of it? Well, yeah, that would be a different scenario. Look, if, uh, as in Arrival, the aliens actually come to Earth, right, <laughs> a dozen ships, and they look like uh, sushi, uh, but, <laughs> you know, scaled-up sushi. <laughs> but that's, that's different. If they're here, if they're landing in downtown Calgary, you got a, you've got an immediate problem, and there may be a danger. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be sure. I don't know whether they're friendly or not friendly. I mean, who knows what they have in mind. Right, whether the iguanas watched Charles Darwin land on the Galapagos Islands, they didn't know whether to get out of the way or wait for him to give them some food. I mean, he just didn't know. So, so there, could, there would be that uncertainty. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about finding a signal with an antenna, you know. And uh, when you listen in, when you eavesdrop on somebody else's signal, they don't know that you're listening any more than you know whether, you know, Bob across town is listening to this conversation. You don't know that. So there's no danger in listening at all. Now, if you broadcast something back, hey, we're the earthlings, uh, you know, maybe maybe you'll stimulate them to send some weaponry your way. But the chances are they're going to be very far away. Even 40 light years away, as this star system is, is pretty far. I mean, our fastest rockets would take... Uh, about three quarters of a million years to cover that distance. That's that's a long that's a long time. Yeah, it really is. No kidding. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, much more at SETI dot org. Uh, and of course, as mentioned, the book "Confessions of an Alien Hunter." Seth Shostak, thanks so much for joining us. here. really appreciate this. Rob, always a pleasure. All right, take care, uh, Doctor Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. So he's pretty convinced, pretty optimistic. Let's say that uh, within a couple of decades, we'll make that discovery. So that's more like the movie Contact as opposed to to Arrival. Arrival is them showing up here. Contact is, holy cow, we just picked up a signal. But as he says, is it just you're inadvertently picking up something that they broadcast? Or is it that they've intentionally zeroed in a message and beamed it in our direction? And how would we know what it is or what it says or what it means? But that's what SETI does. They're listening. And hoping one day to pick something up, to say this is alien in origin. This is a, a broadcast, is a transmission uh, from another planet, from another civilization. 
So as, as he says, with what we've discovered now with some of these these planets that are certainly contenders for harboring life, maybe that's where we want to aim our satellites. Maybe that's where we want to listen. So it, it, it helps, I think, in that hunt. All right, 403-974-8255. We'll take a break here. We'll come back. We'll have some time for your calls. As mentioned, we're just awaiting word from the courthouse. A verdict set to come down in the first-degree murder trial of Emil Radita uh, and his wife, Veronica charged in the death of 15-year-old Alex Redita. So that's uh, coming down this afternoon. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.